a short biography of Watchmani. Let me love and not be respected. Let me serve and not be rewarded. Let me labor and not be remembered. Let me suffer and not be regarded. Tis the pouring, not the drinking. Tis the breaking, not the keeping. A life of suffering to seek others' blessing. A life loving and true comfort giving. Not expecting pity and concern. Not accepting solace and applause. Even lonely, even forgotten. Even wordless, even forsaking. Tears and blood my price for the righteous crown shall be. Losing all my cost for a faithful pilgrim's life. Tis the life, O Lord, that you chose to live. In those days when on earth you walked. Gladly suffering all injuries and loss. So that all might draw near and repose. I cannot see how much farther I shall go. Still, I press on knowing there is no return. Let me follow your pattern so perfect and true, bearing ingratitudes without complaint. In this time of trial, O Lord, I pray that you wipe all my eating tears away. Let me learn, O Lord, you are my reward. Let me be others' blessings all my days. This maxim was composed by Watchmani around the year 1930, could very well sum up his life and ministry. Watchmani was born on 4th November 1903 in Suato, China. His birth was an answer to prayer. His mother, Oping, was afraid that she might bear only daughters, like her sister-in-law, who gave birth to six daughters. Oping already had two girls, though she was at that time only a nominal Christian. She nonetheless prayed for a son and vowed to give him back to God. In the following year, she gave birth to a boy and following the family tradition named him Shushu, which means to continue glorifying the ancestors. It was not until 1925 that Shushu changed his name to Watchman, which in Chinese is to Sheng. When Watchman was six years old, the family moved back to Fochao, their native place. He received his early education through private tutoring in Chinese calligraphy and the study of four books and five classics, which had been the foundation of Chinese culture for 2,000 years. Early on, he showed his adroitness in learning. As a boy, Watchman was lively and active, and thus he received more chastening than did his elder sisters. In order to protect him, however, his sisters would sometimes take upon themselves the blame for mischiefs perpetrated so as to relieve their brother of punishments. In 1916, at the age of 13, Watchman entered the Vernacular Middle School in Fochao, sponsored by the Church Missionary Society, Anglican, to receive a Western-style education. This was a step towards Trinity College, which was staffed mainly by Irish missionaries from Trinity College, Dublin. Being brilliant, he did not need to study hard to rank at the top of his class, though he observed Christian traditions such as baptism, communion, Sunday school, and so forth. He had nonetheless failed to accept Jesus as his personal savior. He loved the world and sought for earthly glory. He liked to read novels and to attend movies. He wrote articles for newspapers, and with money he received, he bought lottery tickets. He was at one time the chairman of his school student body. During this period, China was experiencing great national unrest. Naturally, as a young man, Watchman was affected by the political movement all around him. 
At the same time, it developed a strong aversion towards the church and preachers. It despised preachers, considering them as dogs to missionaries. When he was told by his father that he had been promised to God to be a preacher, he could not have disagreed more. Not so was his firm response, making it clear he had planned his own future in a far different direction. He would never be a preacher, vowed watchman. In the latter part of February 1920, Miss Dorayo, one of the first Chinese evangelists, came to Fochao to conduct revival meetings in the Methodist Tian'an Chapel. Mother Ni, being an old acquaintance of Dorayo, attended the meetings and was saved. The high school boys were free to attend these meetings, and a number of them did. Yet, Watchman still then absented himself. Though his mother had invited him to attend, he declined. In fact, this time, he hated his mother because one day, a month earlier in January, at the end of the winter holiday, a valuable vase in the house had been found smashed. His mother was certain that it was the work of her son, Watchman. So she subjected him to the indignity of a trashing. Though she later discovered that it was a mistake, she had never apologized. Now, however, Mother Nee was saved. She began to have family devotions. When she commenced to play on the piano the very first hymn, she was deeply convicted by the Spirit of God that she must make an open confession to her son before she could worship publicly. To the utter surprise of the entire family, she suddenly stood up, walked up to her son, wrapped her arms around watchman, and cried out, For the sake of the Lord Jesus, please forgive me for beating you unjustly and in anger. This touched watchman deeply. Never had he heard of a Chinese parent accepting such loss of faith. If his own mother could be so transformed, then there must be something powerful in the preaching of this visiting evangelist. Christianity, he thought, must be more than a creed. This lady preacher was therefore worth a hearing, and hence, next morning, he told his mother he was ready to go and hear Dorayu. Young watchman went as he had promised. He was touched in the heart by the gospel on the very first evening. He knew that the gospel of Jesus Christ was true. Indeed, he had no problem in accepting it, but he had serious apprehensions. On 18th October 1936, at a workers' conference in Kulushu, he offered the story of his own salvation. Here is what he himself testified. In 1920, after I had attended the revival meeting, led by Dorayu, I experienced a great struggle in my heart. On one hand, I must settle the issue of whether or not I would accept Jesus as my Savior. But on the other hand, I must settle the issue of whether or not I would decide to be his servant. For I felt that if I should accept Jesus to be my savior, I must at the same time receive him as my Lord. I would have to serve him throughout my life. At that time, I was only 17 years old. I had dreamed many wonderful dreams and I had spent much effort in laying out a great plan for the future. May I humbly say here, and my fellow students, several of whom are here, could bear witness to the truth of it, that I had diligently pursued my plan. I could have well succeeded. Accordingly, my receiving the Lord's salvation must be twofold. I must not only be saved from sin, I must be saved from the world. I was convinced that I could not set aside the Lord's calling, 
merely becoming a saved person and not serving one as well. I wanted these two things to happen together. That night, 29th April 1920, in the very deep of the night, I was alone in my room to settle these two questions. I knelt down to pray. At first, I had nothing to say. After a while, without premeditation, I began to see many sins appearing before my eyes. I saw myself a sinner. Never in my life had I seen my sins in such a way. Yes, I indeed saw my sins, but at the same time, I saw the Lord Jesus. On one hand, I saw the blackness of my sin, but on the other hand, I saw the redness of the blood of the Lord Jesus. I witnessed the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, bearing his own body, my sins. It was as though the Lord was calling me. I have borne your sins. I'm waiting for you to come. How could I any longer resist when under the impact of such love? Formerly, I had mocked believers in Jesus Christ, but that night, I could not mock them anymore. I asked the Lord to forgive my sins as I confessed them. The burden of them rolled away from me. During that time, many new things happened to me. For the first time, I realized I was a sinner. For the first time, I prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins. For the first time, I received into my heart true joy and peace and knew as well that my former joy and peace were false. After prayer, I rose up and sensed great freedom. It seemed as if my entire room was flooded with light. I did not know where I was. All the things I had planned in the past years were now finished. It might have been easy for others to lay down their dreams and plans. But for me, it had proven to be most difficult. And yet, that night, I received a new life. Both my salvation and my call were simultaneously resolved. And since that night, I have never doubted my call. Within that very hour, I knew the Lord had saved me. I knew he had died and he now lives for me. Therefore, I too must die and live for him. I must serve him all my life. After I got saved, I continued my study in school. While other students bought novels to class to read, I brought the Bible. Not long afterwards, I went to Shanghai to stay with Ms. Dora Yu in order to learn how to serve the Lord. However, I was sent back by her after a short stay. She did not explain to me why she was sending me back. She simply said it was not convenient for me to stay here. I understood later on that the problem was in me, that it was because as a youth, I liked to eat well, dress well, and sleep till 8 o'clock in the morning. After I returned to Fort Chow, I continued my schooling. I did not faint in art, since I knew God had called me. I knew I had many weaknesses, but God will never forsake me. Although I had occasionally lost my temper and exhibited other bad behaviors, my schoolmates realized that I was different from before. Now, when I was newly saved, I did not know how to lead people to Christ. I thought the more words I spoke to them, the better. That if I said more, the people would be saved. But I was a total failure. For no one got saved. I felt powerless. Later on, I met a lady missionary, Miss Grooves. She asked me how many souls I had won since I had been saved. I replied that I had preached the gospel to my fellow students, but they would not listen, and therefore the fault lay in them. She suggested, however, that the fault probably lay in me. She probed further and asked if there was anything standing between me and God. 
if there was anything hidden, unconfessed sin. I had to acknowledge that there were such things. She asked me if I was willing to deal with them immediately, to which inquiry I responded positively. She further inquired about how I witnessed to people. I said I had no plan. I simply said what I felt like saying, without any regards to their listening or not. She told me that I was wrong in doing so. You should first speak to God and then speak to men. You should first bring people to God before you speak to them for God. You should pray to God, seeking to know them for whom he wants you to pray. Write these names in a notebook and pray for them daily. Then, when opportunities arise, preach the gospel to them. I accepted her advice. That very day, in fact, I dealt with many sins and unrighteous things. I asked the Lord to cleanse me with his blood and forgive my sins. From that day onward, I prayed for those whose names were written in my notebook. At the beginning, I prayed for them hourly. I found it was rather difficult, for I did not have much to say. Even in my class, I prayed secretly for them. After a few months, my schoolmates considered me a laughing stock. Whenever they saw me approaching them, they would say that the preacher was coming, and they did not really listen to what I had to say to them. Later on, I asked Ms. Groves why I was still ineffective after having used all the methods which she taught me. She encouraged me to keep on praying till some would get saved. Thank the Lord I can testify that all of those except one whose names were written in that notebook got saved. There were 60 to 70 names written down in it. Thus did I learn the lesson of never giving up but always praying. Wachimani carried a Bible with him everywhere. He was constantly reading it. He once testified that he read 19 chapters of the Bible consecutively each day. He also used various approaches by which to search the scriptures. He went through the old Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, several times within a short period. Having a photographic mind, he was able to remember much of what he read. Moreover, his knowledge of biblical truths greatly increased. In searching the scriptures, he realized he must obey the Lord by being baptized by immersion. So on 27th March 1921, he was baptized in water at White City Rapid outside of Fochao. Declared watchman on this momentous occasion, Lord, I leave my world behind. Your cross separates me from it forever, and I have entered into another. I stand where you have placed me in Christ. In his art, Watchman wanted to follow everything that was to be found in the Bible, but nothing that was not there. So as he continued studying God's word, he felt the need to remember in simplicity Jesus' death at the Lord's table. He talked to his friends, Lila and Wang, who happened to have the same conviction. And thus, on one lost day evening in 1922, in the early part of the year, three of them, Leland and his wife and Watchman, broke the bread of communion in a small house where the Wangs lived. They found much joy and release in worshipping the Lord. Later, they were joined by others. For much of his spiritual growth, Watchman turned to Miss Margaret E. Baba for help. Miss Baba had first come to Fochao in 1899 with the Church Missionary Society. But then in 1920, she had returned to Fochao independent of any mission board depending on the Lord alone, 
She lived in a bungalow at a white seat rock. She and her fellow worker, Miss L.S. Ballard, gave themselves up to pray that the Lord would raise up young men and women to win rural China for Christ. Naturally, these young believers turned to her for help. During that time, continued watchman in telling the story of his salvation. I felt I would not be effective in work without the power of the Holy Spirit. I must carefully deal with this problem before God. I needed to seek the power of the Holy Spirit. So I went again to my spiritual sister, Miss Baba, for counsel. I told her that there were few people getting saved in my community. Did I need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to win more souls? Her answer was yes. At that time, I was very young and ignorant concerning spiritual things. I knew God had already saved me and had also called me. Although I had not yet gained complete victory, I had laid aside many improper things in my life. I further inquired of her if she had any way or method by which to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She replied that I must consecrate myself to God. I said to her that I had already consecrated myself to him, but that I still saw my own self. How could I consecrate more? Her answer was that I must ask God to accept my consecration, just as I would have asked people to accept my gifts. As I continued to ask how, she told me a story. Mr. Pringin was a brilliant young man. While he was pastoring a church he was at at the same time studying for a degree of doctor in philosophy. Two months before the final oral examination, having already assured by his professors that he would have no trouble passing it, he was challenged by God to lay aside his ambition. For some time he had been asking God to fill him with the Holy Spirit because he was conscious of his unsatisfactory spiritual life as well as of his lack of power. He attempted to argue with the Lord, suggesting how much more glorious for him to be served by a doctor of philosophy. The Lord showed him, however, that he had no such need. If he really wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he must not take the examination. He was perplexed. He agonized over the issue for two months, till the very Saturday before his examination was to occur the following Monday. And while he was as unusual once more waiting for the Lord, for the message he was to give on the Lord's day. He was still troubled by his inner struggle. In desperation, he finally yielded to the Lord and notified the school authorities that he would not come for the final examination. Yet, he had been left so exhausted that he could not prepare for the message the next day. Upon mounting the pulpit the next day to preach, he simply told the congregation the story of what had just happened to him. There were no dry eye in the old congregation. He became a man greatly used by God. After I heard this story, continued watchman at the 1936 Kulungusu conference, I told the Lord that I was willing to set aside all hindrances to my receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Between the year 1920 and 1922, I had confessed my sins and had apologized to at least two to three hundred people. I reckon that each single sin was an obstacle. If I could get rid of all the sins, I would surely receive power. Nevertheless, having done all this, I still did not receive the power. By January of 1922, there was already a small gathering of the blood's people at Tsiyong, Tsi's garden. I remembered one day that I was going to preach that very day. 
So I opened my Bible, trying to find a suitable subject. I happened to read Psalm 73 verse 25, which states, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. Upon reading it, I confessed that I could not say these words as the psalmist had said it. At that time, I knew that there was something injuring the relationship between me and God. For over 10 years, I had deep affections for charity. She was not saved at that time. I tried to preach the gospel to her, but she always laughed at me. We truly loved each other. I let her laugh at the Lord Jesus whom I preached. In my heart, she always occupied a very large space. I had frequently asked myself if I should continue to let her occupy such a place in my heart. We all know that when a young man is in love, it is most difficult for him to lay aside. Although with my lips, I said to God that I was willing to lay her aside. In my heart, I was unwilling to do so. I now read that verse in Psalms again. I could honestly confess that I could not lay her aside. During that entire week, I could not say to whom have I in every body, and there was none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. The Spirit of the Lord had put his finger on this very issue as the hindrance to my being filled with the Holy Spirit. On that particular day, I went to preach, though I did not know what I was preaching about. Later on, I began to reason with God. I asked him to give me power first, and then I would lay her aside. But God never reasons with men. In my youthfulness, I promised God many things. I would go to Tibet to preach the gospel. I promised him I would do this and that, but God would not listen. His fingers patiently pointed at this girlfriend as my obstacle. No matter how I prayed, I could not get through. My heart was really heavy. I even begged God to change his heart, but no, he insisted on my dealings with this matter. It was as though there was a piercing of my heart with a sharp sword. God wanted me to learn a deeper lesson, otherwise I would be of no use in his hand. On yet another day, I preached in the morning. In the afternoon, I was in my room under great heaviness of heart. I told God that since I would be going back to school next Monday, I wanted him to fill me with the love of Christ. I was now ready to lay aside my lover. The love of Christ had so constrained me that I was determined to put her aside. With this decision made, I could say from my heart that the word of Psalm 73:25, my inside was filled with unspeakable joy. Even though I had not ascended to the third heaven, I could say I had been to the second heaven. So happy and full of joy was I. The world now became insignificant to me. I felt as though I was floating on a cloud. On the night when I was saved, the burden of my sins had been rolled away. On this day, 13th February 1922, all obstacles in my heart had been removed. Not long afterwards, many people were saved. It has been told that after this surrender of heart to God, watchman changed his clothes, put on quasa dress, took a roll of gospel posters, went out to the streets and affixed these posters on the wall. Such was the nature of his farewell to the world. He also composed a hymn on this occasion. What length, breadth, height, and depth? What greatness is his love? How else could I, a sinner veil, be in such grace and bliss? My Lord has paid the price. 
to buy me for himself. So, willingly I'll bear the cross to follow him steadfast. I've now abandoned all, that I may thus gain Christ. No thoughts or care of life or death, nothing can hold me back. Friends, pleasures, gains, and fame, no longer useful be. My Lord became so poor for me, his poverty I did share. I love my Savior dear, his praise is my desire. For him let ease be turned to pain, let gain be turned to loss. My comforter thou art, Jesus my gracious Lord, who do I have in heaven but thee? Who else my love on earth? I care not for the pain, hardship and loneliness. Dear Lord, embrace my spirit, soul and body with thy love. I ask for thee, O Lord, to guide me with thy grace. Stand by my side to give me strength, to safely pass through life. Satan, flesh and the world. Do tempt and press me so, unless thy might upholds me, Lord, I just my shame thy name. While time is fleeting by, lift me above this world, that at thy return I can sing, Hallelujah, Amen. During the academic semester of 1922, evangelistic meetings began to hold at school. Hundreds came to experience the saving grace of God. At lunch times and in the evening, there would be students praying in the chapel. The proctor of the school was amazed at the lack of disciplinary cases. During holidays, students wearing gospel placards on their chest or backs would go out to the streets to preach. In January of 1923, Miss Ruth Lee, formerly an avowed atheist but now a full-time Christian worker, was invited to Fochal to conduct evangelistic meetings. Though only four preaching services were scheduled to be held, many people were saved. Watchman and his fellow workers felt the need to continue on. The Spirit of God moved so mightily that the meeting could not be stopped. Daily, many came to hear the gospel. Watchman recalled, I have never seen a greater revival. People were saved daily. It seems as if whoever met us got saved. This continued on for about a month before they formally rented a place. Such was the beginning of the work in Fochal. Watchman continued with his story. In 1923, I was a young man. I had six fellow workers who were also young in age. I frequently had arguments with one of them. We each had our temperaments and particularly idiosyncrasies. I said he was wrong and he said I was wrong. Every Friday, we had our co-workers meetings. The two of us often quarreled. The other five would sit there listening to our wangos. I acknowledged that I sometimes was wrong, but I believe he made more mistakes than I did. It was easy to confess my own faults, but it was hard to forgive another's faults. On Saturdays, I usually visited Miss Baba, carrying my accusations to her. I told her that my fellow worker was so wrong in this and other matters that she should admonish him. Then she would say to me, He is five years older than you are. You should listen to him, because the scripture says, Ye younger, be subject unto the elder. First Peter 5 verse 5 I asked her whether I must be subject to him, with or without reason. This I had said to myself, I could never do. Christians should be reasonable. 
yet she would not listen to me, but merely insisted on what the scripture said. I was very angry with him. Why should the scripture say such a thing? I dare not lose my temper before her. On most Saturdays, I'll go to her and accuse that fellow worker who was older than I. But she always would answer the same way, that the younger should be subject to the older. She said it again and again. I was dying with frustration. On one particular Friday afternoon, I had battled with that older brother most fiercely. In the evening, I returned to my room and cried. I can laugh now, but at that time, I rarely laughed, though I frequently lost my temper. I thought that by going once more to my spiritual sister, I could receive some sympathy from her and at last get her to avenge me. Who would have thought that I would get absolutely no sympathy from her, but would be strongly chastened by her instead? I deeply regretted that I had been born five years later than that older brother. Yet, once more, we two brothers quarreled. This time, I regarded him as totally unreasonable. I was sure now that I would be vindicated. So I went again to Sister Baba, who accused my older brother. I asked her whether I should still be subject to one who had committed such gross error. She answered, right or wrong is an altogether different question. Let me ask you, today you accuse your brother before me with such an attitude. Are you like one who bears the cross? Do you have the spirit of the lamp? After these many years, I still cannot forget the question she put to me that day. The duration of the contention between the older brother and me was about a year and a half in length. Even as I now recall it, I today feel that that was the most precious time of learning in my life. I praise the Lord for his ways are higher than ours. During these one and a half years, I came to know what bearing the cross meant. Today, we have more than 50 co-workers in China. Had I not learned the lesson in those one and a half years, I today would not be able to work with anybody. During those 18 months, I had no opportunity to voice my opinion and see it vindicated. I returned time and again to my room to weep. I suffered greatly. But as I think back upon all these days, those 18 months were indeed most precious. God knew I was a difficult person, so he arranged a special environment by which to smooth off all my sharp corners. Thanks and praise to the Lord. His grace carried me through. Today, I would like to say to my younger fellow workers, if you are unable to stand the grinding of the cross, you are useless in the Lord's hand. Only the spirit of the Lamb, gentle and meek, is approved of the Lord. Your ambition and ability are useless to Him. In walking this way, your attitude should constantly be, I would not reason with people, but will instead be willing to bear the cross. In the church, bearing the cross, not reasoning, is the law. During this period, watchman grew in his spiritual understanding. He discerned the difference between law and grace. Hence, he was able to preach a pure gospel. He also was led by the Lord to preach on the difference between the kingdom and eternal life, on the difference between grace and reward, and on the second coming of the Lord. He traveled to various places to lead meetings between 1921 and 1923, reported Watchman in 1936. The number of the saved increased quickly. At first, I thought holding meetings constituted the entire work of God. But by 1923, 
I realized that this was not his own work. In reading the book of Acts, I saw that God wanted to raise assemblies in various localities and that in the church there should not be a mixture of the saved and the unsaved. Wheat and thighs grow together in the world, but not in the church. There should indeed be in gathering of souls and revivals in China, but there should also be the testimony of the church. There should be people who in every place maintain the testimony of God. I now understood this to be God's purpose. Yet, due to the fact that my fellow worker did not have these lights, I was solely tired in the spirit at the gathering of Fochao, where I had been placed by the Lord. As the light we each received was different, our ways of working also differed. My brother's focus was evangelism and revivals, but I wanted to build the local church. In 1924, the question of ordination became a point of conflict between Watchman and his fellow workers in Fochao. Some among them intended to invite an ordained missionary from Shanghai to come and have them ordained as ministers. Watchman strongly disapproved. He believed that according to Ephesians 4 verse 11, ministers are the gifts of the ascended Christ to his church. He accepted divine ordination but not human ordination. He even preached a message on the ark of God among the Israelites, to the effect that once it had departed from Shiloh, it never returned to that place. This does signify a warning to believers not to backslide into old ways. This greatly displeased those brothers who were seeking after man's ordination. Shortly after, while he was away preaching, his fellow workers in Fochal formally announced his expulsion from the work there. This arose the resentment of many of the brethren in the gathering. They were determined to defend Watchman. In order to avert a split, however, he quietly left Fochal. A hymn which he wrote at that time gave expression to his inner feelings about the situation. It is from the right course I depart. At once comforts I'll find. But I remember how my Lord did suffer agony. I utterly forsake this world and sever all the ties. My path may narrow more and more. I'm but a pilgrim here. Though men may scroll and laugh to scorn, I only want his smile. Let others fancy outward shoes. His best is my desire. Not after greatness do I seek, nor success in this life. But humbly I would serve the Lord. That death gain is praise. I'm daily gazing at the light out of his judgment seat, that all my living and my works may stand the test of fire. You may run after name and fame, or glory, wealth and friends. You may have all your great success, your followers and praise. In solitude and poverty, I wish to prosper not. But faithfully I'll follow him until I reach the goal. I know while here on earth he came, his only gain was death. That's why no other wish I have but with him to suffer loss. Since all my glories lie ahead, now patient I must be. I will not go before my Lord, such glory to receive. That day my honor I'll receive. The Lord will dry my eyes. Today, while he must tarry still, I'll press on faithfully. Having left Fochao, Watchman now travels to Nanking and Shanghai. He received a word from the Lord in Luke 4.43, which records what Jesus declared. 
I must preach the good tidings of the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore was I sent. In November of the same year, 1924, he went overseas with his mother to Malaya and spent about half a year abroad preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In May 1925, he returned to Fort Chow and rented a tiny inn in Lohi Pagua, a small village down from the city near the sea. The following two years were a transitional period for him. It was also a time of rapid spiritual growth. Though he began to have a cough, he used this opportunity at Lohing Pagua to study intensively the Holy Scriptures as well as to read extensively the writings of such servants of God as Dan Henry Alford, B.S. Westcott, Martin Luther, John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, John Whitefield, David Bernard, and others. In 1926, while Watchman was preaching in South China, he fell ill. He was told that he had tuberculosis and had only a few months to live. I was not afraid of death. I had peace in my heart. But that night, when I thought upon the work of God, I felt I should not die. I must put into writing what lessons I had learned from the Lord in the past years, so that they would not go to the grave with me. And thus, I did prepare to write to the spiritual man. On and off, as his health permitted him, Watchman wrote this monumental three-volume work till he accomplished the writing of all of it in June 1928. At that time, it was thought that he had made his very last contribution to the church, and so he prayed, Now let your servant depart in peace. See Luke 2 verse 29. It should be noted that towards the end of 1926, Watchman had been invited to Nanking for rest and to help with the translation into Chinese of the Scottfield Correspondence Course. By May 1927, he went to Shanghai. There, he renewed his fellowship with some brothers and sisters who arrived in the city ahead of him, who had already begun to break bread at the Lord's Table in Peace Wang's house at Shu Garden. From there, the gathering moved to Kenqing Lane, and then, in 1928, to Wemte Lane along Adon Road. It was while Watchman was in Shanghai that he experienced deliverance from sin. For many years after my conversion, I had been taught that the way of deliverance was to reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God. See Romans 6 verse 11. I reckoned from 1920 to 1927. But the trouble was that the more I did so, the more alive to sin I clearly was. I simply could not believe myself dead, and I could not produce death. Sin was still defeating me, and I saw that something was fundamentally wrong. No one, you see, had pointed out to me that knowing, verse 6 of Romans 8, must precede reckoning, verse 11. For months, I was troubled and prayed earnestly, reading the scriptures and seeking light. I said to the Lord, if I cannot be brought to see this, which is so fundamental, I would not preach anymore. I want first to get clear on this. I remembered one morning, how can I ever forget it, that I was sitting upstairs reading Romans and came to the words, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that so we should no longer be in bondage to sin. Knowing this, how could I know it? I prayed, Lord, open my eyes. And then in a flash, 
I saw. I had earlier been reading 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Ye are in Christ Jesus. I now turned to that passage and looked at it again. Of him, God, ye are in Christ Jesus. The fact that you are in Christ Jesus is God's doing. It was amazing. So then, if Christ died, that is a certain fact. If God put me into him, then I must have died too. All at once, I saw my oneness with Christ, that I was in him, that when he died, I died. My death to sin was a matter of the past and not of future. It was divine fact that had dawned upon me. Carried away with joy, I jumped from my chair and ran downstairs to the young man walking in the kitchen. Brother, I said, seizing him by the hand, do you know that I have died? I must admit he looked puzzled. What do you mean? He exclaimed. So I went on. Do you know that Christ has died? Do you know that I died with him? Do you know that my death is no less truly of a fact than is? Oh, it was so real to me. I felt like shouting my discovery all through the streets of Shanghai. From that day to this, I have never for one moment doubted the finality of the word in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ liveth in me. At the beginning of 1929, Watchman returned to Fochal to attend some family meetings. In his heart, he was ready to say or do anything God required, if only he might recover his health. One day, he met on the streets his former professor at Trinity College. The latter looked at him true and true and said and sighed, What has happened to you? We had high hopes for you at school, that you would achieve something great. Now look at yourself, what a pity. It was true that his health had broken and that in the eyes of the world, he had nothing praiseworthy to show forth. For a moment, he felt very ashamed and was close to tears. Then, in the very next instant, he looked up to heaven and said, Lord, I praise you that I have chosen the best way. At that very moment, the spirit of glory filled his heart. Returning to Shanghai, he continued to serve the Lord with all the strength he had remaining. Each afternoon, I had fever, and through the entire night, I could not sleep. I sweated cold sweats. I could hardly believe I could continue to live. Some brothers advised me to take more rest, but I felt I would rather walk than rest. If God considered my work unfinished, then I would leave. Otherwise, I had no longing to live in this world. I prayed and asked God to show me what I should do before I left this world. I forced myself to get up from bed and lead meetings. On the way to the meetings, I had to hold on to lamppost from time to time to steady myself. I would pray, rest, then walk on. I told the Lord that it was worthy to die for him. Watchman's disease worsened. He explained the situation as follows. At night, I woke up every five minutes. I perspired a great deal. My hearing was so poor that people had to put their mouths near my hair for me to hear. My voice got coarse. Death seems to be imminent. Telegrams were sent to various places asking for prayers. Nothing seemed to happen. A sister who was in nurse saw me and wept, for she had seen many severely ill patients, but none was worse than I. Probably it had become a matter of three or four days before I would die. And when I learned about it from others, I said that that was fine with me. In fact, I tried to comfort them. One day I inquired from God why he was treating me thus. 
I confessed many sins and tried to set all things of my life in order. My only fear was lest I would be unfaithful and without faith. I fasted and prayed for a whole day, rededicated myself to God, and promised to do His work only. From morning till three o'clock in the afternoon, my fellow workers were praying in Sister Ridley's house. God granted me faith. Indeed, He gave me several words from the scriptures concerning faith. In faith ye stand fast, 2 Corinthians 1.24. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5.7. And the righteous shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. I rejoiced and thanked God that my Lord had healed me. Immediately the testing came. I felt I should stand up. Yet, how could I stand up? My heart struggled within me. After all, there was self-love in me. It was better to die in bed than to die attempting to stand. But the word of God was powerful. I had been in bed for 176 days. I had not dressed myself once in all that time. But I found my clothes and got dressed. My perspiration fell like rainfall. Satan tempted me by suggesting that since I could hardly sit, how could I ever stand? I said in response, if God said stand, I stand. In faith you stand. As I stood up, I felt as though I were standing on cotton. Then God's word came to me, to walk by faith. I thought it was quite a feat to stand, but how could I walk? I asked God where I should go. Go downstairs, came the answer. But the stairways were so straight up and high. I told God that I could walk in the room, but how could I go downstairs? I prayed and went to the door that led to the stairway. I opened the door and started to go down. I said to God that even if I died in walking, I would walk. Yet I cannot. Therefore, help me, O Lord. I went down the stairs, indeed, holding on to the railings. They were in all 25 steps on the stairway. Upon my arrival at the bottom of the stairs, I walked quickly across the lane to Sister Lee's house. I prayed, O Lord, Hereafter, I shall live by faith. I knocked at the door. Unfortunately, there was no Rhoda who could come to open the door for me. See Acts 12, 13 to 14. The brothers and sisters had been fasting and praying for two or three days. And as I walked in, the scene grew similar to that which Peter was confronted. The eyes of seven or eight people were all on me. No one dared to say a word or even move. There was absolute silence. From half an hour and then to an hour, everyone was in the presence of God. I sat down there with my heart full of thanks to the Lord, whereupon I gave a brief portion of testimony. Therefore, I was no longer bedridden. About four years ago, which would be around 1932, I went to a doctor's house where some curtains were being auctioned. It was the house of the German doctor who had previously taken my chest extras. In the space of two months, I had my estrays taken by him three times. On each occasion, he voiced pessimism about the results. On the fourth and last occasion I had gone to him, he refused to even take an extra of me. Instead, he showed me one taken of another person whose condition was better than mine, but who had died within two weeks of having the estray taken. He told me not to come back again. What he meant was that I was to go home and wait for death. Yet, who would have thought that this doctor would die first? I lifted my hands in praise to God, 
by the grace of God, under his blood, I had remained alive. Moreover, after my illness, I came to know what God wanted me to do next. God was seeking for overcomers in many places, people who had put themselves in God's hand. Before I had become sick, I not only had conducted meetings in many places, but had also had the ambition of writing the best commentaries on the entire Bible. After the illness, moreover, it became clear to me that this is not God's will for me. Now, it so happened that many years before, towards the end of 1922, I had published some issues of the present testimony magazine in Fochao. It now became clear to me that after my severe illness, that in the future, instead of gospel truths, commentaries, prophecies, or doctrine, the central message of life will be printed in that magazine. Having had fellowship with brothers and sisters in many places, I saw that God had raised up many assemblies. But I also saw that as soon as the testimony concerning the church began, opposition and slander came from all sides. Yet, nothing moved us, for we knew what God had entrusted to us. Even as Paul had learned, we knew we must not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. See Acts 26 verse 19. After the visit from the west of some exclusive brethren to Shanghai in October and November of 1932, Watchman was invited to repay their visit by going to England, the United States, and Canada in June 1933. While in Great Britain, he had the opportunity of seeing George Cotton, the author of the well-known Christian tract, Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. Once, however, he slipped away from his brethren host and visited the Christian Fellowship and Ministry Centre at Honor Oak Road, London. He did not meet its key leader, Mr. T. Austin Sparks, whom he had especially gone to see, but he did break bread with the saints there on the last day. When this was heard of by the exclusive brethren, it was to them an unpardonable sin. After Watchman's return to China and following many communications back and forth in 1935, they formally severed all fellowship with the brethren who met in the assembly in Shanghai, as well as in other Chinese localities. Watchman and the brethren with him maintain that fellowship must be open to all God's people. It is based on life and not light. Wherefore, receive ye one another, even as Christ also received you, to the glory of God. Romans 15 verse 7. In God's providence, an unexpected and happy turn of events came to Watchman's life. His school day sweetheart, Charity Young, whom had much earlier given up for the Lord's sake, was eventually saved and began to walk with the Lord. They met again and their buried feelings towards each other was rekindled. After much prayer, he concluded that it was God's will for them to be united in marriage. The matter was negotiated and finalized by Watchman's mother and Charity's uncle, Shang Shuang, who was the family's legal aide. It was the wish of Watchman's mother to have the wedding held on 19th October 1934, for that day was the anniversary of her own wedding. Watchman at first objected because it would fall on the last day of the fourth victory conference held in Anchao. He did not wish his wedding to interfere with the working of the Spirit of God at the conference. He yielded to the persuasion of the brethren, however, and was united with charity in a Christian marriage on that very afternoon. But a vicious storm of animosity broke after his wedding. Charity's aunt, Shang Michin, had vigorously objected to the match, 
She had in mind that her niece would have married a wealthy man. Bitter over what had happened, she placed the ashley worded advertisements in a national daily paper for a whole week as a means to attack Watchman's moral character. She also printed tracts and distributed them among Christian circles. Indeed, she caused quite a tumor among many Christians. This forced Watchman for a time to cease public ministry, and he retreated to a place that was far distant from Shanghai. Even when he and his wife returned to Shanghai after several months, Watchman still did not want to preach in public. At the suggestion of Ridley, though he had consent to lead a study of the Old Testament book, the Songs of Solomon, with about 10 fellow workers at Westlake and child for two weeks, the notes taken were published in Chinese as the Songs of Songs. During the first part of the year 1935, Watchman felt the need for a breakthrough in his spiritual life. He thought of traveling to England to visit Mr. Austin Sparks for help. While on his way there, but before he left China, Watchman and his wife spent some time with the American missionaries, Dr. and Mrs. Thompson Stens, in Shifou, North China. It so happened that at this same time, Miss Elizabeth Fisher-Bacher from Scotland was also a guest in the Stens' home. They had wonderful fellowship together. Especially through the help of Sister Shabacha, Watchman came into an experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit while he was praying by himself. He was refreshed in his spirit, whereupon he sent a briefly worded telegram from Fechou to Shanghai, which simply declared, I have met the Lord. Instead of continuing forward on the contemplated journey to England, he returned to Shanghai. Every morning for a whole week, he met with his fellow workers there, searching the scriptures together on his new experience of ease and praying together. Then, during September and October of the same year, 1935, a special conference that was called, he spoke on the theme, The Victorious Life and the Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A revival broke out, and soon it spread to South China. But as the Spirit of God was moving, the enemy was also busily at work. Several important incidents happened. In reviewing the situation, Watchman and his fellow workers came to the conclusion that Calvary must precede Pentecost, that the cross always precedes the power. This was indeed a most valuable lesson to learn. In 1937, the Sino-Japanese War broke out. In the middle of 1938, Watchman traveled to England once again. This time, he was able to see and fellowship with Mr. Sparks. He also ministered in both English and Denmark. It was in Denmark, incidentally, at the International School of Helsingor that Watchman delivered a series of messages on Romans chapter 5 to chapter 8, and which he had titled, The Normal Christian Life. Returning to Shanghai in July 1939, Watchman took upon himself the work of training his fellow workers. Realizing that the work would be long and the financial need of the work would be great, he went into a business that ultimately proved to be a dark chapter in his life. Though he managed to channel some of the profits into pharmaceutical firm to support his fellow workers during that difficult time, it was greatly misunderstood by the church at large, with the results at the end of 1942. He was asked by the responsible brothers in the assembly at Shanghai to discontinue ministering them. Believing in the sanctity of the church, 
Watchman accepted their decision and retreated to Fochal. There, he quietly prepared for the future. He began to buy some houses in Kulim Mountain, outside the city of Fochal, for creating a future training ground. He patiently endured all the misunderstanding and refused to defend himself. Later, he traveled to Chongqing, the war capital of free China. There, at the earnest and persistent request of the saints who gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus in the capital city and the surrounding suburban areas, he ministered God's words to them for a short period. These were hidden years for watchmen. The eight long years of the Sino-Japanese War finally came to an end on August 16, 1945. The Japanese surrendered unconditionally and the armistice of the China was signed on 9th September at Nanking. Watchman managed to return to Shanghai, but the assembly there was still not ready to receive him. Not until April of 1948 did he have the first opportunity of addressing the saints at Shanghai. In his first address, and referring to himself in the third person, Watchman said that he was like a widow who had raised a family of children. Because of this, he had to remarry, hoping thus that she might be able to feed all of them. Unexpectedly, however, all her children deserted her after the second marriage. He used this simile to explain how he felt compelled to engage in business. At this point in his address, Watchman broke down in tears. As he continued speaking, a great many of the saints touched the life of Christ and felt the authority of the Spirit. The atmosphere of the gathering suddenly changed. All the past misunderstandings vanished without the need for further explanation. The floodgates of God's blessing were thus opened, with quite a revival breaking out in Shanghai. People rededicated their lives to God and gave their all for the Lord's interests. Watchman's burden at that time was training of workers. He felt that his ministry was to minister to those who ministered. And hence, from June to the end of September 1948, the first training conference at Cooling Mountain was held. About 70 fellow workers attended. These were months of intense training. Meetings were held four or five days weekly. In the morning sessions, watchmen would speak on such important subjects as the character of God's workman, the ministry of God's word, spiritual authority and submission, and so on. The afternoon sessions were given over to personal testimonies. One after another, the participants would give their own testimonies, to be followed by critics, first by other participants and last by watchman himself. This was done for the purpose of helping to perfect the fellow workers since objective observers usually see more clearly than the persons themselves. However, this kind of critique could only be done among those who were fully committed to the Lord and to one another in the Lord. The evening sessions were devoted to helping in training of new believers. The now well-known 52 basic lessons were given during these sessions. The second training conference was held, commencing the spring of 1949. About a hundred people participated this time. There was a point at which the completion of the conference was very much in doubt. The civil war between the nationalities and the communists came very near to Fochal. Though the training sessions were eventually moved down from Cooling Mountain to the city itself, there was a real question to whether they could continue. After days of prayer and waiting on the Lord, Watchman received assurance from heaven above that training would continue and that it would be completed. 
Upon the conclusion of this second training conference, Watchman went to Hong Kong from there he returned to Shanghai, which had already been occupied by the Communist Army since 25 May 1949. He was concerned about the churches in China and wished to take a closer look at the changing circumstances. According to his observation, he felt the world could still continue for a number of years. At the end of that same year, he once again returned to Hong Kong, where his family was. In 1950, he conducted a special conference at Hong Kong that lasted a month. There, a revival broke out. This marked, in fact, a new departure in the history of the Lord's testimony there. Watchman strongly sensed, however, that his responsibility lay with the brethren back in China. Though he knew the danger awaiting him, he decided to return to Shanghai once more. In spite of the pleading of some brothers that he not return, his heart was nonetheless set towards Shanghai. Once back in that city, he himself worked most diligently and exhorted the saints to buy up the opportunity because the days are evil. Ephesians 5 verse 16, Message Bible. Moreover, he planned and prepared for the future days when he felt the movement of the workers would be restricted and the work would be prohibited entirely. Such days unfortunately came sooner than he thought. In April of 1951, the new communist government called the leaders of various Christian groups in China, among whom was Watchman, to peng in for a meeting during which the government explained its attitude towards the freedom of religion as guaranteed by the provisional constitution proclaimed by the communists. There would be freedom of religion, government officials indicated, but such a privilege was to be enjoyed only by the people loyal to the People's Republic of China and not by the reactionaries or anti-revolutionaries. As drastic change soon came to the church in China, accusations, meetings against all those in work of life were now being staged all over the land. Christian groups were no exception. Under such pressure as this, Watchman and his fellow workers labored day and night to prepare Bible materials and spiritual messages for the saints as means of strengthening their faith. Shortly before he lost his freedom, Watchman wrote a in which might reveal his heart condition before the Lord at this time. Since long ago at Bethany we parted. Within my heart there is a ceaseless void. How can I take my up down from the willow? How can my songs without thee be enjoyed? And when at night I'm keeping lonely vigil, grown numb alike to sorrow and to cheer, then I recall the promise of thy coming. But sigh, O Lord, why, why doubt doth not yet appear? The manager wakes the thoughts, I too am homeless. Thy cross strips earthly pleasures from my soul. Thy coming bids me seek a better country, for thou thyself art now my final goal. Since thou hast gone, my job has lost its flavor. My song, the sweetness I should fame convey. Since thou hast gone, the sense of void overwhelms me. Oh, how I long that thou wilt come and not delay. Though even now I know thy loving presence, yet in my heart there's still a sense of lack, enlightening and tenderness sustaining. Can no more satisfy. I want thee back. Despite thy peace within, I still feel lonely. Despite thy joy, there still remains a sigh. When I feel more content, the silent yearning. To see thee face to face becomes an uttered cry. What exile cannot but desire his homeland, and long his people once again to greet. 
What soul on alien soil forgets its kindred? What parted lovers never yearn to meet? O oh Lord, how can these earthly love and pleasures with all the joy of thy return compare? Then, if I cannot e'er behold thy countenance, what can I do but sight it thou, O Lord, appear? Couldst thou, O Lord, forget thy word of promise, soon to return and take me to thee? Yet day by day and year by year I waited, and still I wait, and no return I see. Remember, Lord, the years I have been waiting. Why thy dear footsteps linger far away? How long, how long, oh, must I wait till longer, till thou shalt come again in glorious array? From generations unto generations, thy saints have come and gone, but have not seen. Thy glorious promise pass into fulfillment. How long, how very long the time has been. Why cannot we, dear Lord, discern thy footsteps? Why are the heavens still so closely sealed? Oh, must our waiting be prolonged till further? Before thou in thy matchless splendor art revealed. Lord, I recall the many years I've waited. For thy return yet, Lord, I alone. But thy dear saints through many generations beseeching thee to come back for thy own. To countless tears and countless fervent pleadings, by thy appearing is to make reply. Oh, may thou come, the echo of the ages. Come, come and answer now this mighty corporate cry. In April of 1952, Watchman was ordered by the communist Chinese government to go to Mount Syria. There he was arrested by the Department of Public Safety on the 10th of April. He was kept imprisoned in Abin. No one knew what had happened to him for the government kept everything secret. Between 1952 and 1956, the government quietly prepared materials for his prosecution. On 18th January 1956, the Religious Affairs Bureau called a series of meetings in the church assembly hall at Nayan Road, Shanghai. The whole congregation was required to be present. A list of criminal charges was brought against Watchman and his fellow workers. The first official announcement of his arrest was printed in the People's Liberation Daily, Shanghai, on the 1st of February. On 21st June 1956, Watchman appeared before the High Court in Shanghai and was found guilty of all charges. He was given the maximum sentence of 15 years imprisonment, running from 12th April 1952. He was to serve his sentence in the first municipal prison in Shanghai. There he was assigned to translate scientific textbooks and journal articles from English to Chinese for the government's use. His wife, Charity, was permitted to visit him once a month under supervision. By April 1967, he had served his 15 years, but he was not released. The authorities had attempted to force him to renounce his faith. Rumor had already been circulated that Watchman had given up his faith, but the Lord was dearer to him than his freedom, and thus his sentence was extended by another five years. He was secretly transferred from the municipal prison to Tig's Tong Labor Farm in Tig's Pole Country, a suburb of Shanghai. His wife was able to visit him there once. Then, suddenly, for several months, there was no news of him. As a matter of fact, in January of 1970, Watchman was transferred to a stricter labor camp called White Mao Mountain Farm in far away Shuangte country, Hawaii province. 
Unfortunately, his beloved wife, Charity, having suffered a fall, passed away in late September 1971. This was a serious blow to Watchman, but he received it with resignation. He had long abhorred a secret wish to be reunited with his wife after serving the entire 20 years. It was told that he once said to his fellow prisoner, My term of imprisonment and my wife's life are racing against each other. If I can be released while she's still alive, I will take good care of her, for she has suffered much for me. His intense feeling of loss was nonetheless expressed in a letter he wrote to his sister-in-law, which he said he was so heartbroken that he experienced a sorrow deeper than that of losing his parents. He asked that a pinch of his wife's hair and the face towel she used be brought to him as a memorial for remembrance. On 12th April 1972, he completed his 20-year prison term. There was expectation that he would be released, but nothing was heard. On 22nd April, he wrote to his sister-in-law, Elder Sister Ping Ten, I have received your letter of 7th April and learned from it that you have not received mine, which acknowledge the receipt of each parcel you sent to me. All the things you mentioned in your letter I received. I am most grateful to you. You know my physical condition. It is a chronic disease. I have organic disease. When attacks come, they are most painful. At time of recession, the disease is still with me. The difference is in the degree of activity, not in the sense of recovery. The summer has arrived. More exposure to sunlight may cause a little more color of the skin, but it cannot affect the illness. However, please do not worry, because I maintain my joy. I hope you will also take good care of yourself. May your heart be filled with joy. Wishing you well. Shushu. April 22. The chronic disease to which the ailing watchman referred was a severe case of heart disease. For several decades, he had suffered enlargement of his heart. It was said to have doubled its original size. The doctor had told him he might drop dead at any time. He could not lift any weight. Many nights he would sit through till dawn because he could not lie down. The Lord had healed his tuberculosis miraculously and instantaneously, but his heart disease was never cured. Watchman himself once testified that in the healing of his tuberculosis, he experienced the healing of the Lord, but in case of his heart disease, he knew the Lord was the healer. He lived daily by the resurrection life of the Lord. Indeed, it was nothing short of a miracle that he was able to live through 20 years of imprisonment. The Lord's life and prayers of the saints must have sustained him. On 6th May of the same year, he wrote another letter to his sister-in-law. Dear Elder Sister Ping Shen, Tomorrow will be the half-year anniversary of the death of Sister Wei, referring to Watchman's wife Ping Wei Chan. The change during his half-year is indeed very great. In looking back and touching the souvenir, that is a pinch of charity's air and face towel that had been sent to him at his request, it causes me persistent heart pain. For the past 20 years, that is during his imprisonment, I was unable to serve her once. This shall be my lifelong regret. It is all my fault that gave her trouble. My sickness lingers on. It fluctuates often. I try my best not to live frugally and that I may not trouble others. In sickness, I really think much about my own people, that is, his relatives, hoping to be with them, but I must submit to the dictates of environment. In the past 10 days, 
I was beside myself in pondering over Sister Wee. How is your health? You are in my constant remembrance. Elderly people must take special care of themselves. Are you still considering coming to the South? I am at loss as to what to say. I can only wish you well. Shushu, May 6. On 16th May, he wrote again to his sister-in-law. Elder sister Ping Shen, your letter from Beijing dated the 6th and your letter from Shanghai dated the 11th have been received. I hope this visit of yours could be longer so as to get more rest. In my illness, I too long to have more contact with my own people. The mountain here is natural and the water is clear. One thing special here is that children grow up elder than those I saw in Shanghai. Hope you may have more rest. The ashes of Sister Wei is a real problem. Let us decide about it after you come here. I do not have any particular need. Maybe bring me a flashlight. I wish you well. Shushi, 16th May. A further letter to his sister-in-law was sent date 22 May. Elder sister Ping Shen, I talked with my superior about my leaving this place. He said it is impossible for you to go to Beijing or Shanghai. You have to go to a small place or village. When the proper document arrives, the government will process it accordingly to its policy. You have no need to talk further with me. So please try to find among my own people one who can facilitate my release. You can tell that person that I have my own livelihood and I hope it will accept me. Please ask the community council to issue a permit of my acceptance into their locality. Hope you can find one among my people. Shu Xiaoma can also be one to consult with. Please discuss with him or somebody else. Shu Taoma was the husband of another of Watchman's nieces, who together with her husband are taking care of Mrs. Ni during Watchman's imprisonment. Saturday night, my illness struck again. For several hours, my heart trembled. I could endure only after I took medicine. I slept in bed the whole Sunday. In sickness, I desire much more to be with my own people, just like the falling leaf returning to its roots. I have lost contact with my own people for 20 years, so I can only ask of you. When you come, can you bring me one kilogram of meat mash and a kilogram of dried beef? The doctor told me not to eat egg yolk, fatty meat and internal organs because they will seriously damage my weakened heart muscles. So I can only eat lean meat without which I will be in lack of protein. Pretty troublesome. Wishing you well. Shushu, May 22. On the very same day, Brother Ni also wrote a letter to his niece's husband. Shutao, my nephew-in-law, I believe your aunt, watchman's late wife, while living must have told you about my condition. You know my elder sister sends me my living expenses, so I have no problem of livelihood. I am old and sickly. I long to return to my own people as a falling leaf returning to his roots. To find a resting place, I earnestly hope you can take the responsibility of settling this matter. I depend on you to negotiate on all sides. Your aunt has passed away six and a half months ago. My heart is broken. I could hardly live. I hope you do your uttermost to send the documents here. Your aunt while living mentioned many times of uni and her children. I wonder how the children are now. Much remembrance. I heard that in going to checking hand, there will be a problem of food coupons. Bronnie's niece had died and her husband had evidently moved to Shinkai. 
I think I eat very little, so it can be solved. Never mind. I've not corresponded for 20-something years, but much remembered. Wish you well. Shoot too. May 22. Two more letters were written by Watchman. One on 25th May to his sister-in-law and one on the 26th May to his nephew-in-law, Shutama. Elder sister Ping Shen. Tomorrow I shall be transferred from Mapel Peak to the farm in Mountain Slope. So when you come, do not buy a ticket to Mapel Peak. You should disembark at Mountain Slope. This station is a little farther than that of Mapel Peak. It is the next station. I had written a letter to you earlier than this one. I wonder if you have already received it. I hope to see you soon. Wishing you well. Shushu, May 25th. Shutao, while in Mapel Peak, I had written you a letter asking you to get a permit from your community council, proving that you are willing to take me in and also to provide for my living. You know my elder sister sends me my living expenses. Your attitude must be firm and clear. Today I am transferred from Mapel Peak to White Cloud Mountain Renovation Group. Hope you tried your utmost best to get a reply. This document must be sent directly to the 14th Corp of White Cloud Mountain Farm. Please ask the community council to address the paper to White Cloud Mountain Farm, Wangtek City, Huani Province. I eagerly hope to return to my own people. Please do your best. Wish you well. Shutao, May 26th. On the 30th of May, 1972, Watchmani wrote what proved to be his last letter. Elder sister Ping Shen, I was transferred to the 14th Corp of Mountain Slope, equal to three and one-third English miles from the station. And also, you must climb over a mountain. It is therefore not easy for you to come. You may want to cancel your trip. In sickness, I still retain joy in my heart. Please do not worry. I shall still encourage myself not to mourn over my sickness. As to the ashes of Pingwei, watchman's late wife, please do what you feel right. I commit it to you and fully agree with your desire. Short paper but long affection. Wish you well. Shushu. It appears as though Brother Ni knew he would soon depart from the world. Indeed, he went to be with the Lord in the early morning of the next day. On the first day of June 1972, while his sister-in-law was yet at Shanghai, she received a telegram from the White Mount Mountain Farm Labor Camp and simply read, Watchmani died of sickness at the foot of the mountain. Immediately upon hearing this sad news, it was decided that Watchman's sister-in-law, Ping Sheng, his niece husband, Shung Wu, and his grandniece, Xiao Ling Pao, would travel together to the labor camp. Two days later, on the 3rd of June, the party of three arrived at Kwanten country, but Shung Wu was able to proceed further and reach the labor camp at dusk of the same day. Having inquired about Watchman's death, Shung Wu was told that not having seen the prisoner come out of his room, Shortly after 9 o'clock in the morning of the 30th of May, prison officials pushed the door of his room and found watchman on the bed, barely breathing. Immediately, they asked the camp hygiene officer to examine him. Realizing the seriousness of his situation, they sent watchman by car to the labor camp clinic, which was situated at the foot of the mountain. All efforts there to rescue him failed and the stricken watchman died at 2 a.m. 31st May. Captain Low of the disciplinary corps declared it to have been a suicide, for he said he had a suicide note as proof.
Prison officials have found a note under the mattress near his pillow. When pressed for it by Shungu, Captain Lo showed the note to him. It was truly in Watchman's handwriting, written in large letters on the page taken for a notebook. It read, Christ is the Son of God who died to atone for men's sin and who rose on the third day. This is the greatest fact in the universe. I believe in Christ and die. Signed, Watchmani. Upon his reading the note, Shungu told Captain Lo that this was not a suicide note at all. Watchman had apparently had the premonition that due to his physical condition, he would not live long. But he believed in Christ. He confessed even until death. Furthermore, did not the telegram itself say that Watchman had died of sickness? Naturally, Captain Lo did not understand the meaning of the words, I believe in Christ and die. Captain Lo also reported to Shungu that because of the heat, they cremated Watchman's body without waiting for the arrival of his relatives. The next day, Ping Shen and Shaoling Pa both arrived at the labor camp. They were told the same story and were not allowed to enter Watchman's room to gather up things left behind. Later, permission was given to the party to go to the crematory to collect Watchman's ashes. It was not a real crematory but a labor camp, clean which served with dual purpose of producing bricks and cremating bodies. The three relatives found the person who a few days earlier had cremated Watchman's body and inquired of him about the condition of the body. The cremator said, it was a peaceful body, nothing abnormal at all. Would you say it was like the body of anyone who had committed suicide? They asked. He replied that he had cremated many corpses and could surely recognize among them those who had committed suicide, but that he was certain Watchman's death was not a case of suicide because his body appeared to be so peaceful and joyful and most normal. Indeed, Watchman had kept his faith in Christ even unto death and maintained his joy to the very end. Watchman's ashes were first buried temporarily in Mulberry Field in Ingni, Shinkai, a province west of Shanghai. But in October of 1989, they were finally laid to rest in Shangshan Public Cemetery in Shushao, not far from Shanghai, with a simple white marble tablet having been erected over the remains as a memorial.